Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This hour... It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And from you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. I'm Maria Chaleos. And Governor, we haven't had you back in the studio since the pandemic began, and it's so so great to have you back in studio today. Well, it, Maria, it's great to be back. It has been years, it's been a minute, right? Since, since we were we were in studio. I appreciate you having me back, and I'm really excited to be here. Uh, it's good to have you here. People are so concerned right now about things like the drought and the economy. And so my first question for you is, you know, is there anything really the state can do about gas taxes? With, you know, gas prices over $5, could we have some sort of break, some sort of temporary reduction in the gas tax. So it's certainly a conversation that we've had uh, with legislative leadership. It would take an act of the legislature to do something like that. The The pushback has always been that we do things a little differently here in Utah uh, around the way we tax gasoline. So even though you're, you're technically paying a tax on gas at the pump, we're actually taxing the petroleum company at the rack. And so it, it doesn't translate directly. Uh, it, so if, if we were to have a, da- a gas tax holiday, that would not necessarily go directly to the consumer. Um, the, the, that would go to the petroleum company and then they could set the prices wherever they want. So it could actually lead to a windfall to the petroleum company as opposed to a tax reduction on the, uh, at, at the pump for the person getting, getting gas. I don't think people would be happy with people that People would that not idea. be happy about no. that at, at all. And so that's why there's always been a little bit of a hesitancy uh, around that. It's also the gas tax is, is the way that we um, that we fund all of the road construction that's happening around the state. And we know there's a lot of it right now. Tremendous amount. And, and so there's some, we would have to, we would have to change the way we fund UDOT for a period of time, which again could be done, very complicated. And it's it's one of the reasons that the the, the legislature has been so remiss to uh, to look at that, that piece. Although I, I will say, um, I did have a couple legislators reach out to me this week who said that they're, they were opposed to it before, but now they're they're more in favor of it. So mm. we, we could see that change potentially. Um, in lieu of that, what I've been pushing for is to try to find some other ways to help people where they're struggling. And uh, one of those is uh, looking at uh, a, a reduction or an elimination of mass transit fees uh, for you know for a few months. So that I, again, that wouldn't help everybody, but it would help anyone who lives close to a bus stop or can get to tracks or or transit in in some way. And uh, we did that during February, and it was very very successful. So just yesterday, um, UTA, 
and uh, and UDOT um, went before a committee of the legislature to testify on on, on what that looks like, how, how it worked, how much it would cost, uh, what the results of that would be. It would get cars off the road, improve air quality, both good things, and of course give people another option, uh, potentially a free option for getting places where they need to go. Even if it took a little longer, for some it may be worth it than much more than paying $5 a gallon for gas. The other that we're looking at is, is trying to significantly increase uh, the, the um, the, the supplies at our food bank and, and helping our food banks get uh, get more resources because we know that un- unfortunately more and more families are having to choose between filling their gas tank or or buying groceries and that's a choice that no family should ever have to make I I, I, I was I was talking to Abby and I were, were thinking about when we were first married little kids and we would go to the grocery store with a calculator and and we would have to figure out everything we were putting into our cart and whether or not we would be able to afford it put things back if it didn't work and uh, and 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 we're, we're fortunate we don't have to do that anymore but but hundreds of thousands of Utahns have to do that and when your when your gas budget goes from $50 a month to $80 a month or $100 a month to $150 a month, that that money has to come from somewhere. And, uh, and, and if it's coming from food, then, then we have a big problem. And, and so we're, we're trying to augment what's happening in, in our food banks to make sure that those who are struggling, they have resources available. It always feels like there's this hesitation in the state to lower the sales tax on food. Does this create any sort of opening or... Um, would lawmakers support doing something like that? Yeah, well, so so we did significantly reduce the the tax on food several years ago. Um, there was a move to add the tax back onto food at the state level, and and that was um, that was defeated by well, eventually the legislature, but only after uh, over a hundred thousand signatures were gathered and it was going to go on the ballot. And so, um, so certainly there there is still a small tax on food at the state level, and uh, and it's something I've I've been pretty vocal about. That I, I would love to see that removed. It is a, a regressive tax. Again, hurts uh, hurts the the poorest amongst us for sure. Everybody has to buy food, and so um, so I think that's one area that it is certainly open for discussion. Uh, but uh, but I would encourage people to uh, to reach out to their legislators and and uh, and and ask them to help on on this relief side. All right, we have James James who is already on the line in Provo. Uh, James, you have a question that is very similar to what the governor is talking about. James, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Go Basically, ahead. I, I'm, I just want to ask the governor about your groundbreaking ceremony for the building north of the state capitol. Could you tell me which departments will be housed in that new building? Yeah, James. Thank you so much for bringing that up. We uh, we did have a, a a big. Well, it was it was half groundbreaking and half demolition yesterday as we start the demolition of the state office building. For those those that aren't aware, the what, what's traditionally been called the state office building is the building just north of the Capitol. So on the Capitol complex, we have four buildings that kind of form a square. Um, the 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 building on the south, of course, is the Capitol. And we have the Senate building on on the west, and and the House building on the, on the east. Those were buildings that were built. Uh, at the time of the renovation of the Capitol, beautiful buildings all matching the Capitol. And then we have this building that was built in the 1960s that doesn't look anything like any of those other buildings. Um, it, while it was a, a famous architect who built that, the, uh, that, that type of architecture is certainly not held up over time. And uh, it's, it's, it's not a very functional building. It has lots of issues. And, uh, and there was an opportunity. We were actually looking at building a parking structure because we, have, we, we don't have enough parking for people when they come to the legislative session. No doubt about it. People 
people just they they loathe to come up there. And so we were working. And when I was lieutenant governor, we were working on a parking structure. We had approved uh, tens of millions of dollars to build this parking structure, and something just didn't feel right. And so uh, the Senate president and I sat down, and we both came to the conclusion that we're making a big mistake by putting this big parking structure right there when we everybody for years has wanted to replace that building, and that the time had finally come. And so we are we are demolishing that building. We have a beautiful, beautiful building that will match the Capitol perfectly, a granite building with columns. And what what I'm most excited about, James, and to answer your question is, <clears throat> we, we were also getting ready to approve another building. For several years, we've had a proposal to build. Uh, we're one of, the, one of the few states that does not have a state museum to, uh, to house artifacts from our state's history. And so there was a proposal to build one of those downtown. We are going to build a state museum. The first floor of that will be a state museum and it's going to be beautiful we have so many great artifacts that we can display there it will be a place we'll have a new entrance on the the north end of the complex where citizens school children uh the tourists can come they'll actually enter through those uh through that that north area into the museum first and then travel through the plaza into the capitol so just a beautiful opportunity on the second and third floors of that there will be some um some executive branch offices there um our our cultural heritage offices will be there and uh, and then legislative offices, legislative research, legislative general counsel um, will be on those floors as well. We have moved because we're demolishing the building. Most of those state agencies that are housed there now have been moved out to the Taylorsville uh, campus that we we uh, we bought an old building there from uh, from I believe it was American Express, a big building, and uh, we've made that into a big hub for our for our state offices. It's a much better location for them, and uh, it, it saved the state. Uh, tremendous amount of money. We've been able to end some leases in other buildings that were costing the state millions of dollars. And so this was a fiscally responsible thing to do and a better thing for future generations. And James, thank you for your call today. Our phone lines are open. The number for you to call, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Speak speak to the Governor governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Again, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. 
Governor, the next big thing on people's minds today is the heat. And, of course, with the heat comes the drought. So my question to you is, what is the state doing to either develop new water systems or maybe more importantly protect our current water supply from states like Arizona and California? What is happening on that? Yeah, front? yeah, thank you. And, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about this one. The West is in drought. Um, we, we've been in drought now the, on and off for the past 20 years. In fact, uh, as I've mentioned before on this program, we we've had a a study done that 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 says that this is the worst drought in 1200 years um in the west uh western united states and and so this past legislative session we passed a dozen bills focused on on preserving and conserving water and and those bills are just now going into effect and so we're we're very excited to see how those turn out we have we have money set aside for um from agriculture optimization that's that's a big chunk of this uh we've 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 delivered or at least we we've received applications for most of that money we'll have another round of applications coming up in uh, in a couple months and uh, the the idea behind that is to help get new technology out to our farmers so that they can conserve more water and and, and even increase their crop yields and so that's going to save millions of gallons of water um, another big change about getting water to the great salt lake because we need to preserve the great salt lake so that that's been huge um, we we have uh, we have millions of dollars set aside for that as well uh, we passed almost 500 million Dollars of new funding for um, for uh, for water optimization, water storage, and water security. So all of that is just happening now. The new budget starts on July first, and uh, you'll be seeing um, significant increases in funding there for things like secondary water metering. Uh, we all, we all will also uh, be expanding programs in the state uh, for people who are are willing to flip their strips and put in water wise landscaping. That's going to make a big difference. And then we're we're starting now negotiations around the Colorado River and what's going to happen there. There. Uh, you mentioned kind of the uh, we have upper basin states of which we're a part. The lower basin states, places like California, Arizona, uh, they there's been some new studies done showing that they're overutilizing the amount of water that has been allocated to them. Uh, in the upper basin states, we're underutilizing the amount of water allocated to us. So those negotiations will be happening. The the, the feds have have mentioned that we probably need a, a significant reduction this year to keep Lake Powell and Lake Mead even operational, which is huge water storage for the West. And so it's more than important that more important than ever that we conserve. And and so many people are doing that. We saw uh, we saw billions of gallons of water saved last year because of uh, of changes that people made, um, every one of us individuals. And, uh, and sadly, we're going to need that again this year. Okay. Um, let's go to Lance, who is in Murray now. Lance, good afternoon. What is your question? Actually, it's Lawrence. Okay, Lawrence, I apologize for that. No problem. Um, I have two questions that I'd like to ask, actually. Uh, I know the governor, you when he was lieutenant governor, used to handle uh, the homeless issues for the state directly. I'm wondering if he's still doing that. Or if someone else is, and if they, if whoever it is, how do I get in touch with them directly? Sure, thank you so much uh, for 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 that question. We I, I did handle homelessness under uh, under Governor Herbert, and in discussions with Governor Herbert even before I became governor, and working with the the problem with 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 homeless services is there 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 are so many different actors. So we have we have the city, we have the county, we have the state, we have our homeless uh, homelessness service providers, we have uh, the faith based sector all working, and and we didn't have great coordination and so we the the decision was made that we needed someone to coordinate all of that and uh and and so we we have the utah office of homeless services and they're working together with community partners uh we're we're really focusing on 
making homelessness rare, brief, and non-recurring, and making sure that everyone has access to, to safe and decent, affordable housing. And so we appointed a former Senate President Wayne Niederhauser as the new director of, of homeless services. And, uh, and so he is the person that is responsible for coordinating all of those services together. He's been on the job for, for about a year now, and uh, we're, we're very grateful for, uh, for his incredible work. Um, of course, Pamela Atkinson, who uh, everyone knows, is very well known in this space. She's a senior advisor to me, also working on this space. Uh, the Utah legislature just recently allocated $55 million for deeply affordable housing. That's the most that they've ever, uh, that they've, they've ever given us before. And so uh, you, you should be able to go on, on the state's website at, uh, at, at, uh, at utah.gov and, uh, and find the contact information on there for the Office of Homeless Services. And, uh, and again, Wayne Niederhauser being the Director of Homeless Services there. And uh, there should be a, a website with, a, uh, with, with an email address where you can get in contact directly with him. All right, Governor, back on to the topic of water. James in Salt Lake City wants to know when Utah will require smart sprinkler systems uh, to not turn on during the rain. Yeah. So while there while there is not requirement yet, and and certainly those those could be done at the local level, there is funding available for those smart watering systems. And uh, we um, many many of local the the, the local uh, water service providers there have access to that that funding, um, and and can make it available for people to apply for for that funding. We've seen a significant increase in uh, the number of homes that are using those smart systems. And what's great about those systems again. You can program them to water at the most efficient times of the day, uh, but but also there the, the the newer versions can tell if it's raining, so they can turn it off during rain. Can tell how much water your lawn has had. Um, we most people tend to overwater their lawns, so whether you have a smart system or not, um, we would certainly encourage you to look. The the, the state of Utah uh, we we have a, we we have a website as well, and and I apologize, I don't have that website right at my fingertips. I should remember this, but if you Google it, um, it, it will show you on there by where you live, how often you should be watering every week. And after rainstorms, of course, we encourage everybody to, to stop watering. And it's okay to have yellow lawns this year. Um, that's uh, We're going to celebrate our yellow lawns <laughs> once again. The good thing about grass is it does go dormant and it will come back. And so there's nothing wrong with uh, with watering less. I just keep hoping it'll rain every few days like it's been doing. It's been it pretty really remarkable. Helps and it helps your pocketbook as well. Absolutely does. And, and we do have more rain in the forecast coming up over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully that monsoon Moisture will will come our way, and we'll have a we'll have a good summer. All right, Pete is on the line in Salt Lake. Good afternoon, Pete. What is your question for the governor? Hey, how's it going, Governor? It's going my well, Pete. Question, my two short questions are: Why are people watering at one and two o'clock in the afternoon, full blast? And why so many homes? And where's the water coming from if we're in a drought? And I have to watch my watering. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Pete. It's a good, good question, and certainly one that that we're concerned about as well. So, what I will say is, in in almost every jurisdiction in the state, um, it, it it is illegal to water 
during the the middle of the day. So if your sprinklers are coming on at at 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you are very likely in in violation of an ordinance in your city or in your county. And so that should not be happening. And uh, certainly we have water managers that that try to patrol that. And if they, uh, this is done by the local service district, your your water conservancy district. And so if you do know of people that, that are watering in the middle of the day, you can reach out to the water conservation district and let them know. Usually they will provide a notice um, to the to the property owner to prevent them from doing that. Um, but by the way, uh, I, I, I did find that that website, conservewater.utah.gov is a great website for all of these these different needs. Um, but but this is a this is a really important one where we have to outdoor water use makes up about 60 percent of our municipal and industrial water, 60 percent. So so the the way that we we do this is as we conserve that allows for the growth that is happening in our states. Now, there is a new requirement, a new law this year that we passed that requires every city in the state as part of their land use planning uh, to figure out how much water they have available, how much water they, they will have available as part of their planning in the years to come, and then how many homes they have on the system and how much is water, water is being used per capita. And if, if, they, uh, if there is not enough water for the, the growth that's happening, then they will have to put a moratorium on that growth. Um, we, we've had cities do that in the past. Um, I just, just read this week a, a small town in Sanpete County, Centerfield, has had to put another moratorium on any building permits because they don't have the water resources for any additional growth. So that's, that's a really, really big one. Um, I mentioned the state uh, turf buyback program, uh, which, is, which is significant. Salt Lake City is doing more around this as well. We appropriated $5 million for a, uh, a state turf buyback program. Um, all of those different entities are... Uh, I, let me also add this. We, for the first time, we made it illegal to prohibit um, the use of water-wise landscaping. So there were several cities and HOAs who made you put grass in. Even mm-hmm. if you wanted to do something water-wise that would look great, um, they wouldn't allow you to do that. Uh, so, so we removed that, that, uh, that requirement. So many things are happening out there. But thank you, Pete, for, for giving me an opportunity to remind people, like, do not water during the heat of the day. You, you should not be doing that anywhere. Oh, especially today, right? Especially on a day like today. I'm going to try and squeeze Heidi in here because she has a similar question. And good afternoon, Heidi. What is your question? Hi, Maria. I used to work with you about 20 years ago. Thanks for having me on. Good to hear from you. (laughs) And I'd like to ask the governor, I am driving down from Colville to Salt Lake, and I know there's great concern with the water conservation. And Colville uh, City has approved a golf course, one, possibly two, with approximately 200 to 250 multi-million dollar homes going in this area. It is west of the interstate from the town of Colville and Echo Reservoir. So I understand it's wonderful in Salt Lake that we're concerned about parking strips, but I know the uh, folks that the farmers along the corridor of Wanship, Hoytsville, and uh, Colville, they're having a hard time watering and to get enough for hay to even feed their animals, but yet it's okay for a golf course, possibly two, to go in in another $250 home. And then the city of Echo, teeny little city, been there 150 years, runs out of water every year. 
how is this okay? <laughs> and what do we do? Sure, sure, Heidi. It's a great question, and uh, and one certainly that that I would be concerned about as as a local resident. And and again, so the way that the water works in in the state is every local water conservancy district is is in charge of of making those decisions in 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 concert, of course, with the the local municipalities and and their water resource availability. It, sometimes it's hard to compare apples and and oranges throughout the state. We we do have some areas of the state where reservoirs are full and, uh, and and they're doing very well. They have excess water capacity. Um, we don't have the ability to move that water from that basin to another basin. And so it really depends on, on the localized area and where they want to put that emphasis, where they want to use the water resources. But what, what I can say is that the purpose of this new bill that we passed, and one of the reasons that I advocate it for so much, is there, there were some municipalities that uh, were not connecting the dots there. They were making decisions on the land use side. So approving homes, approving golf courses, approving different, you know, different uses of water industry. Um, and, and they weren't looking at, at the, the other side of the equation. And that is how much water do we have available? How much can we develop? How much storage capacity do we have? And what happens if we have a drought? So what's our buffer there? And, uh, and so my, my, my recommendation is always Go back to your your local city council, uh, your your mayor. Um, go back to county commissioners if it's a county issue, uh, and certainly go to the water conservancy district that is that controls that water and and look at those gaps. Do we really have enough water for whatever it is, a golf course, a factory, a uh, hundred homes, um, and and is that going to hurt the the residents that are there now? Um, in some places they'll be just fine, but in other places they, they won't be just fine, and uh, and that's what we're trying to. To avoid, we're trying to get people more to be more smart about this, to be really looking proactively ahead of time, and uh, I certainly hope that's the case where you live. All right, thank you for your call, Heidi. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news number to call with your questions eight zero one five seven five eight two five five. You can also text us at five seven five zero zero. This hour. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And from you. Call now. 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We are taking your calls. You can call us with your questions at 801-575-8255, or you can text your questions at 57500. Let's go back to our phone lines now, and Doug is in Gunnison. And good afternoon, Doug. What is your question? Did we lose Doug? Hi. Hi, Doug. What is your question? Uh, this is Douglas Wilford Pace. I was wondering what the best water in the state of Utah is. <laughs> uh, it's a great question, Doug. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, somebody from Gunnison, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty partial to the water in Sanpete County. We, uh, we, ha- we have great water there. But, but I do know that, that Beaver claims to have the best drinking water in the state, uh, the best tasting water anywhere in the, in the country. I know they're pretty proud of that. I don't know if I can confirm it. I haven't had a drink of water in, in every single city and town, although I visited all 248 of them. But, uh, but I do know that, uh, that, that they're pretty proud of that. What, what I will say is that we are very fortunate to have some of the best drinking water in the country because we get much of our water from snowpack or, uh, or groundwater. So, so 
you really can't go wrong. Um, if, if you want to see your city's water quality report, though, you can go to drinkingwater.utah.gov and check it out there. All right, Doug, thanks so much for your call today. Uh, another listener is is concerned about Leighton City and their use of water. Not another one in Leighton City, but we are going to get a bunch of these people concerned sure, about people yeah. watering in the middle of the day. Uh, this person says Leighton City along the parkway, they water every morning. And even though they've called to express their concerns, nothing has happened. Mm, well, I, I would keep calling to express your concerns. It, it is hard, especially for, for government who, who has so many different areas to, to water, right? I mean, parks and, and buildings. Um, certainly, I get calls sometimes that state government is watering in the middle of a day or we have a sprinkler broken or it's just rain and we shouldn't be watering. We have set aside money. Um, the legislature has set aside money. We've been working on this for a couple years to uh, to replace all of our systems statewide with these smart systems that uh, that are much better at controlling the uh, the amount of water that is being used. And uh, and we're hoping with some of the new funds that are available that more cities will, will take advantage advantage of that as well. And, uh, and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll listen to your calls and, and get that fixed right away. Uh, Governor, primary elections are underway. Utahns have received their ballots and are currently voting in the primary. Uh, discuss what is done in this state to ensure election integrity. There's sure. been so yeah. much talk about our ballots being miscounted, overcounted, undercounted, and all sorts of whatever what is done to make sure that our our system works? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for this. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to run elections for um, for the past uh, eight years and uh, and learn so much about the election process and uh, and what we do right and ways to improve. So so let me just state this at the outset: we are always working to uh, to improve election integrity in the state. In fact, every year, uh, my my office, Lieutenant Governor's office, and now Lieutenant Governor Henderson, uh, we we sponsored a bill or worked with legislators on on. A bill to improve election integrity and and certainly that was the case this past session we have another bill to to improve election integrity and security um, the good news is that we audit our our election systems every year um, we have we have Elections aren't run at the state level. They're actually run at the county level. So so we have 29 county clerks that are in charge of elections. And one of the cool things that they've been doing this year, most county clerks have been doing this, is they've been giving tours of their uh, of their election locations and systems. So you could go in and actually see what happens when you mail the envelope in, what happens when the envelope arrives, how the envelope is removed, how it's scanned, how it's uh, how it's counted, um, how it's stored. Um, you can see all of that. And, and I had people who were, were very convinced that there was election fraud happening in our state who, who went and took one of these tours and came back saying, hey, you know what? I actually had no idea we were doing all of these different things. You know, we compare every signature. A real person does this, not just a computer. A real person looks at the, the signature that we have on file as well as the signature that's on the ballot to make sure they match. And if they don't match, then they contact you to say, hey, um, did you submit your ballot? We want to make sure that somebody isn't trying to submit a fraudulent ballot. Why don't these signatures match? And Sometimes we had spouses who signed for their spouse or mm. a mom who signed for their kid who, who was at school or on a mission or something. And uh, we let them know very gently that that is illegal, that you can't do that, and, uh, and, and help them to, uh, to, to make sure that that never happens again. We discard the ballot uh, and, and we don't count it. Um, so so one, a couple of the things that, that we did this past year to improve uh, ballot security, we do have ballot drop boxes where people are able to, uh, to, to drop off their, their ballots 
notes after they receive them if they don't want to put them in the mail. Um, we we now have uh, a requirement that, uh, that that every city will have a uh, will have a camera that watches those drop boxes to make sure that there's no tampering with the drop drop boxes, no fraud that happens. So, so that's a really good example of a change that we made this year uh, to I- improve election security, uh, making sure that there is no tampering of those boxes that's going on. But, but more importantly, I think the, the auditing that we do, um, the, the recounts that we do to make sure that uh, you know, the, the ballots match the actual count, um, I actually have more faith in these systems than the electronic systems that we were using before because we have a, you know, we, we have a paper ballot that actually gets mailed in um, and uh, and we're able to uh, to to count those votes manually and make sure that they match anything that the scanning is doing on the computers. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Earl is on the line now in West Valley. And good afternoon, Earl. What is your question? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Governor, I have a question. We have trucks <clears throat> that are driving on the roads that are not licensed for Utah, but yet they're still tearing our roads up. I know THX, uh, Kilgore, have Idaho trailers. They have six tires on those trailers, plus uh, their duels. And they're not paying taxes here. They're Idaho tax license. Why is that not being pulled over and, and licensed for Utah? Sure. Uh, th- thank you, Earl, for for that question. Uh, and and I, I I understand your concern, and, and it's actually a concern that that I share for, for sure. So we um, the. The, the Constitution and and the the, the Commerce Clause um, prevents us from uh, from stopping interstate traffic uh, from from passing through the state, and so these these uh, different uh, th- these different trucks and companies can certainly uh, buy their products in other states and, and can license them in the state and uh, and can drive them uh, anywhere in in any state, and and certainly we have Utah trucks that are that are licensed here in Utah that uh, that also um, are, are allowed to uh, to move across and, and, and go into other states. Um, w- one of the concerns I have, and this is something that, uh, that, that we were, we're looking at, is what, what is the incentive? Why, uh, what, what is it that is causing companies, um, is, is it so much cheaper to license those vehicles in Idaho that is causing them to get them licensed in Idaho, even though they're, they're mostly used here? They may be used in, in, in a couple different states. Um, there, there's got to be a way to do that better so that we prevent um, Utah companies from buying trucks or getting them licensed in Idaho, and I think that's where your concern is, where they're they're paying those taxes. Now, there, there are, of course, when they're buying fuel in Utah, they're 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 paying fuel taxes, and and all of that goes to to our roads as well. We're we're very fortunate to have some of the the, the best roads and bridges in, in the country, and uh, we're we're working to as always to increase that capacity here in the state. But but I do know that that is an issue. Um, we have some trucking companies in the state that have uh, have been concerned about. That uh, uh, other companies going out and getting licensed el- elsewhere, and, and and I share your concern there. Certainly, it's something that we we want to understand better and see if we can't make some changes. On the same topic of roads, Governor, uh, one of our texters asking, when will electric cars pay more for the roads? So. Uh, the electric cars are paying uh, more for the roads right now, and uh, that's 
That's a change that we, we made that was, that was somewhat controversial. Uh, we're, we're constantly looking at new ways. How are we going to fund this future as we're transitioning from, uh, from, from fossil fuel-based vehicles uh, and internal combustion engines to, to electric vehicles, right? There's, uh, we want to make sure that everyone pays their fair share as, as they use the roads. Now, traditionally, that has always been done through the gas tax. And, and of course, electric vehicles are not, not paying a gas tax. And so they are paying more when um, when they buy the vehicle when when that vehicle is registered to help make up that difference so they are paying more now for their portion of the roads but we also know that that's that's not sustainable we have a pilot project uh, right now that is that that is happening and uh, we're we're looking at this pilot project which is a mileage based component um, it's uh, we know that good taxation is a user based fee so the the more you use the roads the more you should pay and that worked because normally you would buy more gasoline, but it certainly doesn't work if you're if you're not buying gasoline. And so, how does that work? And 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 the administration piece is really tough on, on a mileage based fee. So, is it you know once a year you look at all the miles you've driven, and as you go to register your vehicle, then you pay um you you would pay your portion of that fee for the miles driven on on Utah roads. Um, it, you can see where that gets a little wonky. It's so much easier when you're just uh you're just paying it at the gas pump. Um, so so that's something that we're working on. And uh, and and hopefully trying to uh, trying to make a difference, and uh, and we'll we'll see how that pilot program goes. I know it's on our list of things to work on this fall with the legislature to figure out how we change the gas tax or how we how how we eliminate the gas tax and 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 how we figure out how everyone will pay their fair share. All right, we're going to take a break. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at five seven five zero zero. Your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Speak speak to the governor. Governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for this final segment of Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. We have Anne waiting on the line. Anne, good afternoon. What is your question? Good afternoon. I heard on this morning's KSL program that UTA is not able to uh, be an effective public transit system. Can the governor encourage them not to establish things like ride with a stranger? They say they have a list. Call up, take a ride with a stranger. Teach our children not to do that. Thank you, Anne, for the for the question. So we've been working very closely with uh, with UTA. Uh, UTA is a is is a public entity. Um, it, it is not a state controlled entity, though. That's that's sometimes confusing. I, I, as the governor, do not have authority over UTA. Um, I do help to uh, to appoint members, uh, their their commissioners there uh, to oversee that. But it it is independent. It's a consortium of of cities, and uh, and so it's it is an independent kind of quasi. Uh, 
state agency. So a little bit differently. Certainly, we're we're working with UTA um, on on some of their projects. There was a change though in state law this time uh, to allow the Department of Transportation, which I do control, um, UDOT, uh, to oversee the, uh, the 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 big capital projects. So these are the growth projects. So we think of expanding tracks lines. Um, so that that will be overseen now uh, by by the state and and hopefully UDOT and UTA will be able to coordinate much closer together so that we're putting mass transit in the right places where we can't you know expand freeways or, or expand roadways anymore um, so a, a, as far as your your question uh, that, uh, that 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 a ride with strangers uh, pr- program I'm, I'm I'm not as familiar directly with that that program but I but I do think they have a ride share program and uh, ride share programs are very common all, all across the country and uh, it's it's not as ominous as it may sound obviously we don't want people hitchhiking or, or just riding with complete strangers but an, an opportunity for people who, who are commuting to the same places um, to to meet each other and uh, and, and then to uh, to commute together uh, which will cut down on the number of vehicles of course that are happening um, on our on, on our streets that that's good for everyone um, back in Washington DC uh, they do this all the time uh, and and I, I've had several friends that do this and actually you just show up in an area and somebody will pull up and uh, anybody can get in the car with them and, and, and that allows them to drive in the carpool lane. So um, obviously you, we, we encourage people to do so do so safely, make sure that uh, this is somebody that, uh, that you can trust before you get into the vehicle. But, uh, but these ride-sharing programs are very popular and actually good for, uh, good for limiting the number of vehicles on our roads. All right, Bruce is on the line. He has another question about UTA. Good afternoon, Bruce. What is your question? I wonder if front runners can go further north and further south. Like towards Logan or for the for the south in Utah County. Yeah, th- th- thanks, Bruce. Bruce, great, great question. This is part of the planning process that I just mentioned that UDOT is is going through with uh, with, with UTA. Um, I, I we don't we don't have any plans to get uh, to get it to, to Logan anytime soon. So uh, I think we're we're quite a ways away from that. But but I do think there there is potential to go further into um, into uh, into Utah County. What what I will say is also important. The big project right now about three hundred million dollars that was approved uh, by the by the legislature last year that we we. Prepared Proposed and we supported to uh, to double track portions of Front Runner. Um, this is really important right now to make Front Runner more useful to more people. Uh, right right now, Front Runner can only go every thirty minutes, and if there's something that happens, if there's a, you know a, any sort of disruption, um, it can really slow things down uh, by double tracking Front Runner, so it can go both directions. It will allow us at peak times to have trains running every fifteen minutes, which will which will be much more convenient for people, get more people on board, and uh, and then if there is is an issue um, there there's a the possibility to bypass that issue and and keep trains running on time so we we are very supportive of uh, of that type of expansion I do just want to note though like this is one of the things that's frustrating to me and, and a mistake that I think we've made as a country there's some great articles written on this in the past couple of weeks um, e- even by some people on the left um, that that sometimes I disagree with uh, there was a great article by Ezra Klein in the uh, in the New York Times where he said you know we we don't build things anymore in, in this country. We've really gotten away from, from um, being the big thinkers and the big dreamers. And he talks specifically about trains and high-speed rail. Um, if you go to Europe or you go to Asia, um, they are building high-speed trains and high-speed rail. We have so many regulations, so many. Uh, we, we've made it impossible and so expensive that they're building trains in places like Japan and Europe for a fraction of the price that we could build them here in, in the United States.
States. I dream of a time when we have uh, th- we have uh, carbon reduced um, high speed trains that are running between major cities in this country, like we see in other places, and we can build them for much cheaper. But mostly, it's government that's making it more expensive. It's government that's ca- causing the problems, and specifically the federal government. That's something I would like to see tra- change. So I would love a change a train from Salt Lake to St. George. Think about how many people would ride that train if we were able to get that done. And, and someday I hope we can do that sooner rather than later. Japan's bullet train is amazing, by the way. It really I've is. Had an experience to be on that. We have just one minute left, Governor. Uh, next person is a texter who would like to know if there are any incentives for commercial watering systems um, to put in xeriscaping and that type of thing rather than grass. Yeah, yeah. My, my understanding is that, uh, again, we have a couple water districts that are doing this now, and you can reach out to your water district. We we have $5 million that we will be using this year um, to expand that program statewide. In fact, we'll be the first state with uh, with a program like that, a statewide program. And uh, so so stay tuned. Um, watch for, for applications, but that's it, it won't just be for uh, for municipal residents. We, we, we want to use that for, for um, our industrial residents. Again, a- anytime we can save water. We don't care who, who it is that's saving it. We want to encourage that. Governor, thank you for being here. You'll be back next month? Uh, I, of course I'll be Third back Third week month. of July? We'll we're, we're working on it. I know. Thank you. The time goes by so quickly, so thank you again for thank being you. here. And again, thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.